You're listening to Tech Talk Daily. We interview the visionaries behind today's best tech startups. Get insights and advice from entrepreneurs that have experienced the tech scene firsthand. Visit us at techtalkcast.com. We're here today with Kai from TrueLink Card, um, which is a startup that actively protects those you love most against fraud and other spending mishaps. So, um, would you like to explain the concept in a bit more detail, Kai? Uh, sure. So, um, we're focused in particular on elderly people, although there's uh, a broad set of uses around um, brain injury or, um, uh, or other things. But the idea is that as you age in particular, uh, it starts to be more difficult to manage your money. And it turns out that there's actually an entire industry uh, focused on entrapping seniors who have this particular type of money management problem. So, for example, somebody might call um, and tell you that you supported this clause in the past and it's time to renew annual memberships. Um, and uh, what they mean is you supported veteran clauses in the past, not that you supported this particular organization, but you're not going to remember this. Or likewise, um, they might send you three free issues of a magazine and then call and say, you've been receiving this magazine, you haven't paid for your subscription, and according to the terms of your offer, today is the final deadline to make a payment. So there's, there's all sorts of um, scams that kind of focus on uh, creating a, a state of confusion in order to take seniors' money. Um, it, it, it's a problem that adds up to something like $30 billion a year in the U.S. Um, and the thing that we do is offer a financial protection service that uh, will block this type of entrapment. And basically, it just it declines payment for charges like that. So we are the issuer of a Visa card that you could give to your mom uh, if she's vulnerable to this type of thing, and we will keep her money safe. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good cause. $30 billion, that's a huge amount of exploitation going on, isn't it? It's unbelievable. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where, okay, so the, the median dollar in the U.S. is owned by a 59-year-old, right? The elderly have half the wealth. Um, and if you think about it, one in five has memory loss that affects their ability to manage money. So if you, if you think about... 10% of the national wealth order of magnitude is sort of up for grabs in this sort of vulnerable, unprotected state. You know, actually that number starts to seem quite small. Yeah, yeah, because these people have saved, you know, loads of money for their pension and loads of money for their retirement. And, uh, of course, pe- people are trying to scam them. Yep. And once you're on a list, I mean, the thing is, your your name gets traded around, sold, bought, um and so, uh, you know, the, the magazine subscription scam that I mentioned earlier, you know, the thing that makes it, you know, you say, oh, well, you know, you subscribe to a magazine, no big deal. They'll subscribe you to a magazine every three hours. Yeah. Call back in three hours with a different magazine. At the end of the month, you'll be getting a hundred magazines. Yeah. Wow. It's, it, it really is a, um, uh, a black market almost. So uh, another yeah. question, wh- why are you doing this? Uh, so it was something that affected, uh, my family and my co-founder Claire's family. Um, both of our, uh, grandmothers as they age were affected by this problem. Um, and initially, you know, uh, initially most people, uh, think of it in two ways. They think of it as either, you know, bluntly, um, you know, a dumb grandma problem, right? You know, you say every time I go visit my, my mom, my grandma, whoever it is, I tell her, when you answer the phone, ask who it is, and if you don't know who's calling, hang up. 
but she never listens, right? And so you're frustrated with your mom or your grandma for, um, for being in this vulnerable state, which of course, you know, you realize that you shouldn't be frustrated and you know, it's a condition of memory loss. Um, and you feel bad about yourself for being frustrated, but you're not, you're not saying, gosh, I wish there was some way to protect her. Or do you think about, you know, public policy as a law? You say somebody ought to do something. Maybe you write a letter to your congressman or something, but you don't think, I wonder if there's a consumer product, um, that, that would provide protection against senior financial entrapment. Um, and so it took us a few years to get to that perspective to say, wow, you know, uh, after all of this uh, money has been lost, actually, in both cases, um, after all this money has been lost, is there something that could be done about this? Um, and my background was in software. Um, and Claire's background was in sort of product design um, and customer experience. And so uh, we started talking about it and kind of linked up and decided to go for it. And is it a um, is, is this card global or is it only operational in the U.S. at the moment? Uh, nothing to announce right now. We, we are we are looking at um, the U.K. and Canada, but uh, but it's very early stage. Yeah, U.S. only for right now. Okay. Um, so talk to us a bit more about yourself. So your background and your story. Um. So I was historically um, a nonprofit person. There, there was a while when I. Uh, you know, uh, public policy um, type stuff. And there was uh, most of my, uh, you know, in college and the years after, I really didn't think I would work in the private sector at all. Um, but my best friend from college kind of uh, persuaded me that he had started. Um, and I ended up being there for something like three years. Um uh, and, you know, basically, uh, got a taste of both, uh, how difficult it is, right. You know, as first time founders, we made all of the mistakes you can imagine. Um, and yet also how, uh, exciting and rewarding it could be and how much, um, you know, creative ability you have when you're doing this job. And so, so I was kind of hooked at that point. Um, and then I worked on, uh, a couple other startups in between, um, you know, explored some ideas, um, did a little bit of nonprofit work again, uh, and then, uh, decided that I wanted to do this. And so, um, so actually I joined a startup, um, called LendUp kind of in order to learn how to do this. Um, it was, it was a set of skills in financial services that I, you know, I just really didn't have the background for. And so I joined the financial services startup to, uh, to learn. Okay. Um, and then after a year at LendUp, I, I, I linked up with Claire and did this. Yeah, so that's an interesting background. And um, so far, what's been the most challenging part of the company? Oh, my God, everything is challenging. Um, you think <laughs> about, every every uh, founder says this because it's so hard to pinpoint something that's really challenging because, you know, startup life is just, in general, really challenging anyway. Well, you know, and it's also... Um, uh, your goal is to, to face the most challenging thing first, you know, because you're de-risking, right? So you, you start with facing the most challenging thing and then, it's, you know, you sort of think, whew, I got over that milestone. And in fact, there's another thing that's even more challenging waiting right around the corner. And so it's just, um, one colossal, unbelievable challenge after another, um, to just give you a, a taste of a few of them. One of them is, um, uh, financial services. is just a highly, 
you know, regulated, operationally complex uh, industry, right? So we are issuing and processing Visa cards, which is appropriately highly regulated. You know, you don't want um, somebody slapping a Visa logo on any piece of plastic and saying, hey, we'll keep your money safe, right? Um, and so, but that means you have to, to make really big investments in legal and operational capacity, and you have to build up a pretty big team and put a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff. And we had, um, you know, probably 400 pages of uh, policies and procedures written out by the, you know, as a two-person company. Um, so that was, you know, complex. Um, and then the technical aspects, right? Uh, processing a credit card transaction, you have a couple hundred milliseconds, right? You know, you sort of, um, it's at the level at which um, you think about, uh, you know, your data center is on the West Coast, say, right? It turns out that the time that it takes for light to cross the country actually is meaningful. Um, and, um, and, you know, it was something that I'd really kind of never thought about, right? Um, I mean, obviously, you use a CBN or something, um, but... Uh, but you know we you know we have to make sure that we correctly route each individual transaction to the right server um, because otherwise we'll run out of time, um, which was you know a type of exact environment that I hadn't been in before. Um, and then you know marketing to the children of elderly people. It's mostly the children that are um, uh, addressing this problem, and so figuring out how to be in touch with them is um, is complex. Um, and then finally, it's, you know, it sounds like a weird idea, you know, um, uh, raising venture was really, really tough at first because, um, you know, you sort of say, you know, I think every venture capitalist we meet with is imagining having a conversation with their LPs, um, and their LP is saying, so this company, you know, failed. What was it you thought you knew about fraud protection debit cards for elderly people? You know, that it's not like, uh. You know, it's not like a social app or a way to share photos from your phone or something. And so, you know, everybody just kind of imagined, um, you know, all of the all the weird looks their coworkers would give them if they invested in the company like this one. And so, it, it took us a while to figure out how to explain it to venture capitalists. Okay, so there was a lot of stigma around the kind of to- topic, I guess. Um, well, you know, in particular, it just it just doesn't fit in in a lot of boxes, right? So you have like fraud protection startups, but that's typically, you know, sort of like a, a big data approach, uh, rather than a consumer brand approach. Right. So you think about shift science, for example, um, uh, or something like that. Um, yeah. And then there are, um, financial services startups, but you know, the direction for that is, you know, it's like Bitcoin and mobile payments and stuff like that. Right. Ways to split money by email. Square wallet and so on, and and um, and that's very hot. And we say no, you know, we're we're issuing normal Visa cards. And they're like, so, you know, is there a mobile angle? Is there a Bitcoin angle? And it's just no, it's just like a Visa card. We're we're a Visa card issuing company. Um, and so that that seems, you know, to the financial services crowd or a certain subset of it, it feels very boring. Um, and so, you know, it turns out basically there were there were very few people that had expertise in the aging market um, that also had an expertise in financial services. And so there were, basically there was something for everybody to not like. Okay. Yeah. Um, I see. So, uh, 
which is astounding to me, by the way, because the, you know the aging market. You know, it, I think so much of venture capital describes itself as um, you know we see the big picture, we see the trends, um, and you say you know who is it that is investing on this demographic trend? And there are a few people, right? But but it is um, you know it, it it is not you know you, you talk to I'm not going to name the firm, but but you know you sort of say. Um, there was one pitch where, where they just, you know, very bluntly said, like, we don't invest around aging. We don't have a thesis there. And you're like, okay, sure. That's, you know, it, 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 and it didn't feel weird to them that they weren't making investments around the aging market. Yeah. And I'm not saying everybody should, but, but you know, it's just, it, it was one of those things where, um, you know, if you find um, uh, a venture firm that's interested in payment or that's interested in um you know, online marketplaces or social networks, right? And you basically assume that um, any venture firm can find a way to integrate, uh, you know, a mobile payments company or a Bitcoin company or a uh, social network or something, you know, Uber for whatever or whatever into their portfolio, right? There's some thesis that that fits under. And in so many cases, there was no thesis that we fit under. Yeah, so I think we got better at it. It must have been quite tough. But, I mean, the, the elderly market is quite a niche market, and I think that's what makes it more attractive, the fact that um, you, you're almost one of the only players in the market. Um, well, you know, here's the thing. It's, not, it's the opposite of a niche, actually, right? So, um, so like I said, the median dollar is owned by a 59-year-old, right? So um, financial services for people under 55 is a niche. Financial services for people over 55 is actually the majority market. Um, okay, and so it's, it's, you know, it's like, it's like, it's one of these things where, where nobody, you know, here, here's something for you, right? Adult diapers, adult diapers is a larger industry than diapers for children. I mean, just the, the, the demographics are so overwhelming. It's hard. It's hard for people to get, get their head around it. I mean, it's okay. Uh, another example, right? You, know, you say like, um, has somebody created a billion dollar, uh, a billion dollars of shareholder wealth adapting a mainstream product for the aging market? Well, I'll give you an example, senior living. Senior living is just an apartment building or property development uh, just for elderly people, right? $300 billion of wealth created. Um, and you know, people are like, oh, that's kind of kind of a weird niche, isn't it? Well, you know, there are not a lot of $300 billion uh, industries where the people call niches. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually a very mainstream, well, it's a very big market. Uh, you know, in fact, you know, I think... Uh, most of the wealth created in the next decade is going to be services for boomers and aging people. I mean, you look at, you look at which uh, sectors of the economy are growing. You know, the fastest growing job in America is caregiving for elderly people. It's one of the only categories that grew all the way through the depression. Wow. There's some interesting facts in that. Um, cool. Okay. Shall we, um, I'll move on to the next topic. So tell us, uh, I'm going to bring you back to the Y Combinator days and um, I'm going to ask you the same question that they ask on their application. Tell us about a time you hacked a system to your advantage. Oh gosh, I can't talk about any of that. Um, if you just think uh, back to the YC application, maybe. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't have a great example. I can't share that story. Okay. It was All a good right. one, though. It was a good one. <laughs> come on, come on, share the story. No, I can't. Oh, come on. Just for our, just for our listeners. Yeah. 
Okay, think about it. <laughs> um, okay, so three apps that you live with every day and one that you would delete. Three, sorry, three apps that I use every day and one that I delete? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm actually not an early adopter. The, the three apps that I use every day are Gmail um, and Google Maps and SMS. Those are the only three. I mean, I talk on the phone. Those are the four apps that I use every day. I wouldn't say that I actually use the internet for my phone every day. Um, one that I would delete, um, uh, I went off Facebook um, uh, three or four months ago. It's been so rewarding. Is it because of the amount of time you saved? Uh, you know, no, it was, um, I really didn't spend hardly any time on Facebook, actually. I, I didn't, you know, I, I'd already stopped, um, like reading people's posts or whatever. It was just that I would post something, uh, every day. And, you know, it was sort of this, um, you know, people, people think of, um, you know, your sort of, sort of social network profile as something to curate, right? You want to, um, uh, be prominent you want to be like followed by people, um, but but it turns into this thing where um, you know once you approach the microphone angle, yeah, your um, your thinking, uh, microphone is really fuzzing up. Ah, uh, sorry. Um, uh, you think uh, you know once you once you approach life with that angle, you think how do I you know turn this into a pithy quote for my Facebook followers, or you know how do I um, cleverly summarize this article and provide some insight or whatever, and you end up sort of living for your social media profile rather than the other way around. Um, and, uh, and I, I think more people than know it, um, especially in our industry, um, uh, have, uh, that, 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 that amount of mental energy that you spend curating your online profile kind of, um, creeps up and you don't notice it. Yeah. And after a while it becomes a kind of form of competition almost. Um, so it becomes really unfruitful. Yeah. You know, it, uh, and you find yourself like, checking how many likes you got on your post or how many new followers or whatever um, before you go to bed. And it's like, isn't there something else you should be thinking about before you go to bed? Yeah, yeah. I miss the days when I was younger and didn't really have to worry about social networks or looking through the home. Yeah, thing. you know, and it's because, I mean, I mean, you know, you're, in, you're a podcaster, right? I mean, in some ways, um, uh, generating followers is, you know, is really critical, right? But it also, it becomes quite a rat race, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It becomes uh, quite hard. Um, and it has to be done every day. I mean, it isn't something you can just leave alone if you want to grow a follower base. So, I mean, it, it depends because if you're doing it from a personal perspective, then it's a bit more um, unfruitful. But then if you're doing it from a business perspective, you're getting a direct re reward for what you're doing. So I think it, yeah. it, it does have a lot of difference when you're doing it from a business perspective because you're not so much trying to grow your own name, but you're trying to grow the name of the entity that you have yeah. created. But, but don't you think so often for startup people, um, it's the same thing, right? That, that it would be very hard for your show to become famous without you becoming famous or vice versa, right? Yeah, that can be true in some cases. So I do think so. But um, it depends what you put first. So I think there's like a primary and secondary. So um, yeah, for sure. you can put yourself as a primary figure or you can put your kind of uh, brand as a primary figure. And I think that putting yeah. your brand is better because then it, it, it means that um, you can kind of you can leave it. You can uh, sit back. You can have employees if you really like. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, th I think it depends what you make. 
um, primary and what you make secondary. Yeah, yeah. So, um, who do you look up to in the industry? Who's who's a pioneer for you? Um, uh, that's a great question. Um, there are, um, you know, I, I look at um, LendUp and Standard Treasury um, as two of the um, companies that are um, uh, really kind of innovating in the space. Um, and it's people that I know really well and, and try to, um, Sasha at LendUp and, uh, Dan and Zach at Standard Treasury are people that I, you know, really look to, to, um, uh, make sure that I'm doing my job well to kind of understand how the job is done well. Yeah. Yeah. So Standard Treasury are the guys that are building commercial banking APIs. Is that correct? Yep. yep. Okay. All right. Um, that's so smart. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got a lot of buzz, I think. Yeah, they deserve it. Absolutely. Um, maybe I'll get them on the show soon. That'll be interesting. Or they'll say the smartest stuff. You'll be like, why did we invite that dude this guy on the show? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, what if I ask them, who do you look up to, and they and they mention you? That'd be a great compliment. Uh, that'd be sweet. Um, okay, so what is your favorite book and why? favorite book and why um gosh um i'd probably look at um this is funny probably ender's game or dune um uh those were both very formative to me as a kid because um yeah i was like i was one of those kids like i skipped a couple of grades i wasn't that good at sports um uh you know and, and so many of the superheroes in our culture you know it's like um, you know, Superman or Batman or like, you know, He-Man and She-Ra were big when I grew up. Um, and, uh, and they're like, you know, very strong, you know, they like beat up the bad guys. And I just kind of, you know, at, when I was nine and, you know, whatever, uh, was the kid that was like pick last for football. Um, uh, I kind of didn't really think that I was going to end up being, you know, Superman, I didn't really have that kind of nerdy role model, but you know, uh, Ender and, um, what's his name? His little bean, um, you know, conquered the universe by being like really nerdy. Um, and it was, it was really kind of exciting to me as a little kid, um, thinking about, you know, how you could, um, and, and similarly with, um, Paul, the main character in the Dune series, um, that they very self-consciously developed, um, mental habits like uh like persistence or concentration or strategic thinking and ended up using those to conquer the world and you know i kind of looked at that and those are like much better superpowers actually yeah that's really interesting it's almost um it's almost trying to remove that kind of um the normal superhero um uh, what we have in like society like normal superheroes like superman and batman and trying to completely flip that on its head so people can actually aspire to rather than uh, children can aspire to rather than being violent um aspire to um you know being intelligent i guess or strategic yeah yeah well you know and, and the other thing was that um uh there's this um set of uh studies around learning done by carol dweck at stanford um around how people um, evaluate their own competence, how they, how, you know, when they do something well, how they explain it. And some people, 
um, obviously it's a mix, but some people say, you know, I succeeded because I'm very smart, right? Because I, you know, I, I'm a natural at this. I'm athletic. Um, and some people see themselves as having succeeded because they worked hard because they, uh, learned to do a good job. Um, and it turns out that the second one is just much more adaptive, right? That if you say, um, you know, if, if you have a, the, the idea that you, uh, succeed by training yourself, you'll be much more successful in the long run um, because you will work harder. Um, you will persist more in the face of failure um, and so on. And, and I was, you know, I was always one of those people that um, a lot of things kind of came pretty naturally to me. Um, and so, um, so learning how to, uh, you know, be persistent and develop new strengths was, was something that only came to me later on. But I that I enjoyed it when things were just very easy for me when I took to something like fish to water, um, and over time only came to appreciate the value of the things that I had taught myself how to do, and the things that I really had to shape myself to be better at. And this job is one of them. I, you know, I, I don't think uh, ten years ago I would have been very good at this. So, so could you repeat the name of the book? Uh, Ender's Game and uh, Dune. Um, they're, you know, I mean, they're teen fiction, right? Um, but, uh, but they're phenomenal. I really recommend them. Uh, uh, Orson Scott Card, the, the author of Ender's Game, is uh, thought to be a bit of a racist. Uh, but he's, uh, he's, they've also produced a movie, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, the, movie, the movie's terrible. They skip all the good parts. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, Maybe. really, you know, the, 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 the story of the book is um, uh, Ender iterating a strategy. Um, against increasingly difficult odds. Um, and, uh, and the movie skips all but two iterations for the sake of advancing the plot along. Um, and so you really just, you, you know, the movie misses the point, I think. So reading the book is the best suggestion. Um, okay, so uh, moving on, what is your favorite quote or story? And don't worry if you can't remember anything. Um, yeah, we this can come too shall pass. Easy. Okay. Um, and what is your pet hate? Hate, gosh. Um, you know, I think I overreact to industry hype. I mean, like you said, you know, um, the market that I'm in is seen as a niche market, um, and uh, almost always, if everybody's going one way, um, you know, I, I want to go a different way. Um, uh, so you look at, uh, you know, you look at. Um, everybody wants to start a Bitcoin trading platform, right? Because, you know, it's so hot or a new way to, to do mobile payments. And I think if you ask yourself, um, what will be the, you know, the sort of net Delta to humanity, if you didn't do that, um, you know, if you just let somebody else's bit, you know, let's say you were going to become the best Bitcoin exchange or, you know, the second best or the third best, what's the, what's the net benefit to your effort being added to that industry. And I think if you're working in, um, you know, in a hot space, often um, uh, you end up being sort of a bit player, right? You know, that, that, um, that you're doing work that, you know, somebody else would do if you weren't. Um, and I don't think you end up having that much impact that way. Um, and so I find it really frustrating when, um, when the hottest new topics um, and the sort of fawning investors in tech press end up uh, recruiting a ton of talent into industries where it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, okay. And 
Uh, I'm just speeding up now because we're getting near the kind of end. Um, yeah, perfect. Okay, so uh, is there any piece of advice that you would like to give to startups um, out there? Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't start a company. <laughs> and what's your reason? Oh, it's just, you know, it's, it's really tough. It's, it's quite miserable. It's not like it's cracked up to be, um, you know, and, and, uh, and I, you know, I think most people um, uh, start with the premise that they want to be uh, proven that um, there isn't an opportunity, that they believe there's an opportunity in some space. Um, and they, they, you know, want to get proven wrong. And I think that's, that's the opposite. I think you should um, approach a startup with, you know, deep, deep suspicion. Assume that there's no opportunity and very diligently falsify it. You know, approach it like, uh, approach it like an investor um, because, uh, you know, you're going to spend, if you're successful, you're going to spend five years of your life. Um, but often if you're unsuccessful, you're going to spend three, right? And have really nothing to show for it. So, um, so, you know, assume that starting a company is just a terrible, terrible idea. Um, you know, that it's like, uh, like as bad as like cutting off your, your leg. Right. And sometimes cutting off your leg is the right move. Like if you find yourself stuck in a bear trap in the wilderness. Um, but other than that, you know, just, you know, the, the, the times when it's a good idea to start a company are extremely exceptional. And most of the time it's just not a good idea and you shouldn't do it. Some good advice there. Now for quiz time. Um, okay, so now we're going to go on to the fun bit, the quiz. Um, so I'm just going to give you, I'm going to give you three questions. Um, they're going to be about the technology industry, and um, just try and answer them as fast as you can. Are you ready? Uh, ready as I'll ever be. Okay, so what does Zuckerberg mean? One syrup hill, two sugar mountain, or three salty lake. Uh, can you say the word again? Zuckerberg. Uh, sweet. Um, what are my choices? One, Syrup Hill. Two, Sugar Mountain. Or three, Salty Lake. Sugar Mountain. Yeah. What is the estimated price of the Apple Watch? $1,000, 1200 or 1400 Uh, 1000 no, one thousand two hundred. Um, uh, finally, uh, what is the first name of the tech entrepreneur whose second name is often used to signal a cry for help, and is followed by "We have a problem"? Uh, Drew. Yep, you got it. So two out of three. Well done. <laughs> yeah, I'm an Android user. I watch follower. All right, thanks so much. This yeah, was fun. Thank you. Um, could you? Uh, yeah. So if, if um, thanks for being on and thanks for all the kind of uh, insight. Uh, it would be awesome if you could like spread the word about it. It's at techtalkcast.com. Um, so it would be really cool if you could spread the word. I'll do the best I can. I don't have Twitter or Facebook though. Oh, that's all right. If you could do word, word <laughs> of mouth, maybe word of mouth marketing still in play. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely do that. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tech Talk Daily. Visit us now at techtalkcast.com.